Well, this morning we'll continue our conversation that we began a few weeks ago. You know, our theme for 2023 is Why Does It Matter? And our theme for the winter of 2023 is Why Does Anything Matter? So we're exploring the answers to these questions as we're building uh, our ability to represent our faith and make an appeal to those who are in our culture. Uh, So today I want us to look at this text found on a very famous page in your Bibles. I've entitled the message today, Putting Things Right. But the third page of John is a very famous page in our Bibles, has a very famous story, the story of Nicodemus coming to meet Jesus. And uh, so I want you to look at this text for me. We're going to read a few verses from John 3. If you have a red letter edition of the New Testament, which I do, my NIV is that, scholars disagree um, a little bit about when the... Um, when Jesus' conversation ends and when John begins his commentary. So you'll notice in the new NIV, the the words of Jesus end in verse 15. Some scholars take it all the way through verse 21. But regardless, I want us to look at this text from John 3. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 19. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, let's look at that. It's the custom of our church to stand and honor the Lord Jesus when the gospel is read. So I invite you to stand to hear this reading of the gospel John 3, verse 19. This is the verdict, or this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Thank you. You may be seated. So, You know that we have started this conversation earlier this year, and we've been in the book of Genesis, and so we've learned already that everything starts with God. Our our story begins with God, and it's our conviction that God simply is. He has no beginning. He has no end. We've talked about that already. We believe God has created everything that is, this universe. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the crowning achievement, and that is that God has created human beings. We have the unique potential to bear the image of God and reflect his glory in our world. And so last week we ended Genesis 2. And when you get to the end of the second page of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve. They're in perfect harmony with each other. They're in perfect harmony with God. They're in perfect harmony with creation. They're in perfect harmony with the purposes of God. So now here we are in 2023. Would that be your assessment of humanity today, would you say that men and women across the world are in perfect harmony with each other, they're in perfect harmony with God, they're in perfect harmony with creation, and they're in perfect harmony with God's purpose for their lives? So what happened? You have this great story, Genesis 1 and 2, and then you come to Genesis 3, and we read about the fall of humanity. And now here you and I are, All these years later, how many every years, we don't know. We find ourselves in a very different situation. N.T. Wright, he says that uh, he and his wife are moving into a new house. He's an Anglican scholar, lives in England. And uh, he said when they moved into their new house, he had a piece of furniture. He calls it a wardrobe. And when they went to move it into their home, it was too big to go in their bedroom. It wouldn't fit through the door. So his wife convinced him, let's just buy a new one. So they did. When he had the new one brought in in a box, it wasn't put together yet. Well, it was too big to go through the door. So he said, we just pulled the box into our bedroom, and then I went to put the piece of furniture together. And he said, 
What I didn't realize was that you needed three hands, you needed a degree in engineering and architecture and furniture building in order to just put this thing together. He said, I had the box and I could see the, the photo of it and then I had it all in on the floor and I could tell if you do all this right, it would look like that. He said, but for the life of me, I could never get it to look like that. He said, that's my take on the world. He said, I feel like my world looks at their lives and they see the picture and for some reason, they can't get it to match. They get married, and they see the, there's the photo, and they just, they just can't do it. They, they become parents, and they, they see the photo, and they just can't do it. They, they go to work for a company, and they have this idea of how it's supposed to look, and it's just not that. It, does that make sense to you? In other words, the world is broken. So here's what N.T. Wright did. He said that, uh, he said he was on a trip one time before GPS, and they got into this town, and they thought they knew where they were going, and they followed the signs, and they ended up getting lost. They ended up stopping and asking a local person, and the local person said, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We had some mischievous kids a while back that changed all the signposts and pointed them all in the wrong directions. We just never had fixed them because we all know where we're going. So, N.T. Wright has written a book called Broken Signposts. And he says, I look at my world, and I see the signs... But for some reason, we can't get there. And so he talks about the signposts that point to justice, to love, to spirituality, to beauty, to freedom, to truth, to power. He said, and I, I think they're all pointing in the right direction, but for some reason, we can't make our lives look like the photo. And so perhaps the signposts are broken. And so he talks about what a challenge it is to try to live your life, even as a Christian, in this context where we're challenged by so many things in our world. We just, he says, man, I, I feel like it's a, this, this world, this life is supposed to be real and meaningful, but we just seem to fall short. So with that said, here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to look at these signposts, these, these directional signs, these ideals that the Lord has put in front of us and look at how we've fallen short of them and how we can find an answer by following the way of Jesus. So next Sunday morning, Connor is going to talk about love, but I'm going to begin the conversation today and we're going to talk about justice. And here's what I would say about justice. In the Western world, mainly because of Christianity and the influence of Christianity, there's a universal belief in justice. People just want things to be just. And if you want to rile up a bunch of young Americans, if that's what you want to do right now, um, show them an injustice. I mean, particularly young Americans right now, they're about social justice. We all really are. And so there's just something in us. When we see something... We just want to make sure that whatever happens and you get to the end of it, it's just just. Would that not be true? Would y'all agree with that? And if you see something that you just know is unjust, it just does something to you. So let, let, me, let me show you a couple of uh, photos and tell you a couple of stories. I don't know if y'all are familiar um, with this story of Alfred Dreyfus. Um, I don't know if you know his story or not. Very fascinating story. He is a he was a French soldier back in the 19th century. On 1894, uh, there's a photo of Dreyfus. He was arrested by the French military 
because he was accused of sharing military secrets with the German embassy in Paris. And he was put in prison for it. Now, he denied it. However, he was Jewish. And he was convinced that he was just the victim of prejudice against the Jews, anti-Semitism. And he promised he did not do this. And so he went to prison. Finally, in 1906, it was, a, it was a major thing. In fact, you can read about it. It's called the Dreyfus Affair. It's one of the most famous examples of military injustice in the Western world. Well, come to find out, sure enough, he was innocent. And in 1906, um, they actually figured out another guy actually did it, not him. And so they exonerated him. The only problem is he spent 1894 to 1906 in a military prison. <laughs> so he lost all those years of his life, if you will. Now, eventually he was restored. He was made a major. actually fought for, for the French in World War I. But there was just something about the injustice that hung in the air for the French people. It was a struggle for them. Maybe this next guy, I don't know if you've heard of this next guy or not, Gary Dotson. He's somewhat famous in the story of injustice in America. He was arrested for a rape back in 1979. Just outside of Chicago, this girl tells this story about what happened to her. It's kind of a long, drawn-out story. But the bottom line is he was innocent. He did not rape her. He didn't even know her. However, he was convicted. He was put in prison. And eventually she recanted her story, but that, that was not enough to satisfy the prosecutors. So he has the distinction of being the very first person in American history to be exonerated and set free from prison because of DNA evidence. The, the use of DNA in the judicial system originally was designed to catch criminals. That, that was the hope to apply it. However, it's more famously now used and known of to exonerate innocent people. Maybe you're familiar with the story of this next guy. I'm not sure if, if you are. Dotson's the very first guy that ever happened to. Um, but then there's a story of Daryl Hunt. Daryl Hunt was in Winston-Salem. He was accused of rape and murder. And he was convicted in uh, 1987. And he, and he vowed he was innocent. He had nothing to do with this rape or murder, but lots of things happened. He was actually tried for the murder of another person, which he also said he was innocent of. He spent 20 years in prison, and finally the DNA evidence proved he was innocent, and he was set free, but he lost 20 years. Um, there's something inside of us that when we see something that's unjust, it just, it just grates on us, doesn't it? And we're grateful when justice is finally served. True? That, that these folks who were innocent finally are actually set free from prison. Hunt uh, was awarded a settlement from Winston-Salem. But, but y'all, it just, it just devastated him. And unfortunately, years later, he actually committed suicide. Just unable to, to get that, whatever that was, off his own shoulders. So there's, a, there's an entire program now called the Innocence Project, and it's mainly aimed at using DNA evidence to set innocent people free from prison. I, I just looked up some of their statistics. Um, first DNA exoneration, Gary Dotson, 1989. Since that time, 375 Americans have been, who were innocent have been set free. 21 of them were on death row when they were finally proven to be innocent. So when justice does get served, well, that's a good thing, right? We, we feel good about it. But imagine how many innocent people have suffered, 
and how many guilty people have gone free. And so there's something about that, I think, in our society as we see it unfold in front of us. It just bothers us when things just aren't just. So I want you to think about that with me this morning because we have a desire for it. It's just hard to attain it. So how do we do it? Well, I want to point us to Jesus today. Actually, to the Gospel of John, because I think the Gospel of John is going to help us in this conversation. So what are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to do about justice? You might be, you might be thinking, man, I'm just a student. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, got a, I've got a circle of influence about that big, okay? But do y'all ever see anything that's unjust in your world? Anything that you look at, and you know it's wrong. You know, you know it's wrong. What are you supposed to do? What about us that are adults? What about those of us who are in positions of influence? What if we see a whole system that's unjust? Then what do we do? How, do we, how are we supposed to respond? Well, let me just walk us through just real quickly this morning what I have learned from just watching Jesus and following Jesus. I would say this, and this is something N.T. Wright points out. Justice is an extension of God's love for his creation. Justice is a very part of the nature of God. God's a just God. I mean, right here in the Bible, John 3 is one of the most famous passages on love in the Bible. For God so loved the world. John 3, 16. Then you get to verse 19, and it says, here's the judgment. Here, here's where justice enters in. Here's the verdict. Well, what's the verdict? Light dispels darkness. So you and I live in a world that's characterized by darkness. In fact, that's what the Bible says. People love evil. Love darkness because their deeds are evil. You know what light does? Light dispels darkness. And so the extension of the love of God is to bring light into every situation, every circumstance. And you turn the light on, and then it gives you an opportunity to act with integrity. Darkness can't be answered by more darkness. That, that won't work. My mama used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. Y'all ever heard that? And, and my mama used to always say, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Well, what was she trying to teach me? She was trying to show me that if you're in a situation where you know there's darkness, don't add more darkness to it. That's not going to help. Bring light. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was full of light. Isn't that what John says in John 1? He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Then he says, and we beheld his glory. But he said he was filled with light, and that light was the life of mankind. So you and I need to understand the value of light and how it dispels darkness. And that's actually an extension of the love of God. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God. And, he, and when you read John's account of that, here's what John is teaching us. This is God's recreative work in the midst of a fallen creation. That, that's the heart of the message of John. John knew his Bible and so you read in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's creation. How does John's gospel start? How does it start? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Then he says, verse 14, and the Word became one of us. The Word became flesh. So now John is describing recreation. Well, what happens in recreation in the midst of a fallen creation? Well, Jesus is going to usher in a new era, and he's going to establish the kingdom of God. Now, that's still a work in progress. We know that because we still live in the brokenness of all of this. But we get glimpses from Jesus, don't we? Here's what Jesus did. When I, when I read the story of Jesus, particularly in John's gospel, I see glimpses 
of glory. I see signals. John calls them signs from Jesus. And Jesus is basically showing us, I'm going to dispel darkness. So for example, sometimes he'll go, no. No, I'm just not going to have that. No. Sometimes he'll say, not yet. So for example, he comes across a man who's blind and the disciples say, Lord, is this, is this man blind because he sinned or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, no, I'm just not going to have that right now. And the man can see. Evidence of darkness, the man's blind. Brokenness, Jesus said no. Sometimes Jesus said not yet. The Bible tells us in John 11, Mary and Martha's brother was really sick. They knew Jesus loved him, so they sent a message to Jesus and said, your friend Lazarus is sick. The man you love is sick. Jesus waited. And then the Bible tells us in John 11, he gets to Bethany. Lazarus been dead four days. And Martha says to Jesus, if you'd only been here, if you, if you had just gotten here in time, my brother would live. Jesus said to her, you know, your brother will live again. She said, yeah, I mean, I know that. I mean, like in the resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he looked at Lazarus and death and he said, mm, not yet. No, not this one, not yet. Boom, Lazarus all of a sudden is back to life. Now Lazarus is going to die again. But what was Jesus doing? Jesus was showing us sometimes, no. Lame man, no. I'm going to let that man walk. A, a person who was deaf, no. I'm, I'm going to let that one hear. I'm, I'm going to dispel that darkness. This one can't see, no. No, I'm, I'm going to change that. This one's hungry and thirsty on the inside. I tell you what, I'm going to give you water to drink. You'll never be thirsty again. Occasionally someone died, he'd go, no, not yet. Not yet. In other words, he's just breaking through the darkness with light over and over and over. And he's showing us True justice ultimately will be served. Of course it will be. One day Jesus is going to judge this whole thing. And when Jesus judges everything, he won't be calling any witnesses. He won't need any testimony because he already knows it all. So ultimate judgment is coming. Justice will be meted out by none other than Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus is the one who's going to mete out justice? So yes, that's what's going to happen. But until then, he's dispelling darkness. And so... Think about it. Here's your role in it. So let me just conclude with this. As followers of Jesus, this is what N.T. Wright calls you. You are a justice bringer on his behalf. Think of yourself that way. Because you see, you're bearing the image of God. You're filled with the spirit of God. You're reflecting the glory of God. So that means you're the kind of person that turns light on. You're the kind of person that sheds light on the subject. That means that you and I are going to be used by God to right the wrongs of the world. Sometimes you do it on a grand scale. Sometimes you do it on a small scale. But the bottom line is that's our role. I'm reading this new biography of Abraham Lincoln written by John Meacham. It's really good. It's called Let There Be Light. And it's, it's a, an evaluation of Lincoln's role in the struggle in American history with regard to slavery. Meacham has unpacked some things in Lincoln's early life that I've, I've never read before. And I've studied Abraham Lincoln for years. But Abraham Lincoln, when he was a boy, um, he was actually born as a boy in Kentucky. And then when he was a young boy, his parents moved to Indiana. But did you know that when Abraham Lincoln was a boy in Kentucky and Indiana, do you know that his daddy was a member of the Baptist church in both of those villages, those communities? And so Abraham Lincoln, as a boy, grew up in a Baptist church. 
One in Kentucky, one in Indiana. Here's what's fascinating about those two Baptist churches. Meacham has done the research. The pastors of both of those churches preached anti-slavery sermons when Abraham Lincoln was a little boy. And so he grew up in the church listening to the teachings that every human being was created in the image of God, that slavery was a, uh, the, the, the mastering over another human being is sinful, and there should not be slavery anywhere in the human story. Meacham points out how when Abraham Lincoln was a young teenager, his friends said this about him. They said they would go to church on Sunday, they would come home, have dinner, whatever, and then he would convene the other youth in the little area, and he would go out and stand on a stump, and he would re-deliver the preacher's sermons. And sometimes those sermons were on the topic of slavery. Okay, now, fascinating, Abraham Lincoln never joined either one of those churches. It's kind of an interesting take on his life, or an interesting fact about his life. However, when he became president, when you read the counsel that he received from some, some of his advisors, here's what he was told. You need to compromise on slavery so that we can hold this nation together. Here's what Abraham Lincoln said. There will be no compromise on slavery. It will either be total victory and total eradication or total defeat. Those are the only two options. So the president of the United States in one of the most pivotal moments in our history said, no, I'm not going to give in to your advice. I'm not going to surrender to slavery. We will defeat it. Aren't you glad he was our president? But think about where all that started with him. You think it's not important, church, to teach these children the truth about what the scripture tells us? You think it's not important to have weekends like this and call these kids aside at pivotal moments in their lives and challenge them to think about what they're doing and the choices they're making and the life they're living? Think it isn't important? We have no idea who these kids are to grow up to be, do we? We have, we have no clue what realm of influence you guys are going to have one day. And we're hopeful that we're pouring the right things into you so when those moments come, you'll be light and you won't shed more dark on the subject. I don't know if you, if you know the story of, of um, Ignaz Semmelweis, 1846. Some of you may know his story, but he was a physician in Vienna and Austria, 18, uh, in, in Vienna in 1846. Anyway, he started studying. He worked in a maternity, maternal, maternity ward. And he noticed the maternity ward was divided into two divisions. One division where the midwives delivered all the babies. The other one where the doctors delivered all the babies. And he began to do a bunch of research on the deaths of women and their children. And what he discovered was more women and more children died under the doctor's care than the midwife's care. And it fascinated him. He was a doctor. So he began to research. He tried to figure out, what are y'all doing that's so different than what y'all are doing? And so he finally discovered the answer. These doctors were performing autopsies when these moms and children died with communicable diseases. And then they would go right back into the ward and treat their patients. The midwives didn't perform autopsies. And so they made a certain standard of cleanliness in their side of the clinic that was different than the doctor's. Here's what Semmelweis said to his doctor friends. He said, for goodness sakes, wash your hands. The doctors were so offended, they ended up removing him from his position. He ended up in an insane asylum because they thought he was crazy. Good news, not too long after him, Joseph Lister came along. 
He's my dad's all-time favorite scientist because my dad was a Listerine fanatic. So yes, that Lister. Y'all don't know what that is, but you can Google it. Um, Louis Pasteur, they heard about some of this, and those two men convinced the scientific and medical community that diseases were communicable and they could be passed from one person to another and they could be passed from one doctor to patient. And so guess what doctors have done ever since? They washed their hands. How many lives have been saved? Because that one man said, for goodness sake, y'all, wash your hands. Here's the thing. You may not grow up to be Abraham Lincoln. I get it. You may not even grow up to be this doctor, but you know what? You're going to encounter instances of injustice in your sphere of influence, and the question is, what are you going to do about it? We're supposed to be justice bringers. We're supposed to be the light of the gospel because that's who God's called us to be. That's what he's gifted you to do. That's the challenge he's put in front of you. And so we live in a broken, fallen world, but Jesus is all about justice. He is, and he wants to bring light to dispel the darkness. So let me just sum it up for you real quick. How would I put it? I'd put it like this. Jesus has come to put things right. That, that's just the simple way to say it. He's come to put things right. And so he's inviting you to be an image bearer, to be a glory reflector, and on his behalf, let our light shine in this world. That's really what this is all about, y'all. And so here's what I want to tell you. Justice can be served. It will be eventually. But we can find injustices and you and I can do something about it. Do you know every ministry in this church, let's just talk about our church. I'm not talking about all the churches in the world. Just this one. You know that every ministry in this church has somebody's name on it. Everything we do here. You know why? Because somebody came to Dr. East, Dr. Meredith, Dr. Wade, or to me and said, you know what? We need to do this right here. This right here is wrong. We need to do this right here. And you know what? Every ministry we have has somebody's name on it. And so just this church. So guess what we have in this town? We have a women's shelter for abused women. You know why? Because somebody in this church came to Dr. Wade and said, we need, we need to do something. We have a life shelter in this community because somebody came to Dr. Wade and some other pastors and said, you know what? We need to do We have Mission Arlington. You know why? Because somebody... With Dr. Wade, you know what, we need to do, we, we have missionaries that we're sending around the world because somebody said, you know, we need to address, in other words, everything that we do, somebody came to somebody and said, we need to do something. So let me ask you, are you somebody? I hope you are. Because here's what we often think, man, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to. And we think everybody's going to do it. And guess what? Nobody does it. So I'm asking you, you be the somebody. And let God lead you to do something. And you have no idea how it might affect everybody. And all it means is to be faithful and to address things when we see them. And give God the opportunity to take it and use it for his glory. So can I invite you? Let's join Jesus. Jesus is trying to make things right. Let's me and you join that effort as his people. Amen and amen. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're at work in this old world, that you care about it, that you sent your son to make it right, to put things right. And we find ourselves in situations right now where there's so much wrong, so many things we see around us that are just unjust. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be justice bringers, that we will be light in the midst of darkness. 
in some small way sometimes. But every time it happens, you're glorified in it. So give us wisdom, courage, boldness, ingenuity, your creative leadership so that we can be messengers of hope and that we can be people that will be used by you to bring justice where injustice reigns. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen.